Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, it's November. Halloween is over and we're getting ready for the winter months. Thanksgiving is here. It's already here. Christmas is here. Forget about it. It's, it's on, people. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I mean, we have been on fire with some of the most amazing and brilliant friends, and I cannot wait for you to hear from these amazing women. Welcome new friends Yadira Harrison and Shannon Jones, two marketing masterminds who have taken the industry by storm with their dynamic and innovative approach to brand experiences. As co-founders of Verb, their creative consultancy and agency offers a holistic and thoughtful approach to solving business challenges, working with some of the world's biggest, most recognizable brands like Airbnb, the Barbie Dreamhouse, Home Alone, HBO, I May Destroy You, and Netflix, Orange is the New Black. Yadira brings over 20 years of experience in creative marketing and experiential events, having led groundbreaking events and partnerships for leading brands like the Macy's Parade, and branded entertainment, Airbnb and eBay. Meanwhile, Shannon is an avid seeker of innovation and has worked in marketing agencies for nearly 20 years, specializing in sports, entertainment, and talent endorsement deals across properties like NCAA Final Four, IMG Fashion Week, and Cirque du Soleil. Together with their bi-coastal team, Verb offers a wealth of experience and passion to their clients. They are dedicated to inspiring brands to reach new heights and stay ahead of industry trends. Earning recognition from Ad Age, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Ad Week's Creative 100 lists. They've also graced some of the industry's most prestigious stages at South by Southwest, Fast Company Innovation Festival, and Culture Con. Whew. I mean, you have to listen to this episode. I cannot express this enough. It's it's going to like educate you, fill you up with positive energy and get you the motivation you need. They're amazing women. So check them out. You can hear us on Google Podcasts now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto download function for friends like us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. We see you every week, TB. Thank you so much. And Stacy, thank you for joining us. Go to Patreon backslash Friends Like Us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, it's hoodie season, coffee mugs, face masks, tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Saturdays on my YouTube channel, I go live. We give updates to the show, we shout out fans who leave reviews, and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by, and sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out, stay safe, wash those dirty little hands, be nice, and Black Lives Matter. I'm Marina Franklin, here for you. I've got two amazing women. They are co-founders of Verb. We have Shannon. She's in 
Brooklyn, and we have Yadira. She's in Los Angeles. They're both sisters, and they're friends all the way, all the way through to success for today. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Our, our oh listeners God. don't know this, but I'm going to tell you. They wanted, they requested the song. Yes. 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 Got to start out right. Thank you. My goodness. I love yes. It. it is. It's so much fun. It's just like, you know, it's a great way to break the ice. And I'm meeting you both for the <laughs> first time. And I was saying this, like, it's so nice. Like, I'm a comedian. You both show up. You're both in ads. You know what to do. Thank you so much, because the comedians just drive me crazy. I love them, but they drive me crazy. <laughs> okay, so thank you. Your audio is great. It's wonderful. So awesome. I think it's just a great time to have this conversation with both of you, because for the past two weeks, we have been talking about friendships specifically in the entertainment industry more so and dealing with success in the entertainment industry. We've had Sarah Cooper on. We also have a partner, Ned Shirla, who's on the episode that's out right now. And both of them have been talking about imposter syndrome. And my question to both of them was, what friends have you had to help you through navigate through this very difficult industry of Hollywood? Now, both of you are co-founders mm-hmm. of Verb, your friends. Yes. So we will get into that because I, I find that amazing that that is the, that's your theme. It's like, we're friends. Thank you for putting that out there. Mm-hmm. And tell me, what yes. is Verb? If you don't know, let us know. Let, let me know. <laughs> I should say it. Um, no, we are, we are a brand experience agency. Um, so we deal with various experiential events for brands. So essentially, um, any of our collaborators, so that could be Airbnb, Nielsen, Lyft, um, Netflix, or the whole host of clients who come to us and say, Hey, what can we do? We have either this campaign, we have this particular activation that we want to do. And so our team works with them on making that all come to life. So we've been doing this now almost six years. Um, We started in January. um, And so we've just been having a hell of a run uh, for the last couple of years doing that and doing that really successfully. That's amazing. And how did you both meet? I'll ask you, Shannon. We actually used to work together at another agency um, back in 2014. I think we first started working together. Um, Yadira was already at the agency and I initially came in as a contractor and we worked really closely for many, many years at that agency, um, getting to know each other, eventually becoming friends outside of the office and then um, deciding to start our company together in 2018. So what was that decision? Like, what was it just like, you know, I'm tired of working for the man or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, how did you both? Because I'm always oh, thinking about that movie that could be made about you two. Like, what was that moment of collaboration mm. where you're like, you know what, let's do this? Um, you know, folks had asked us probably two years before we went out on our own, like, what are y'all going to do if y'all do something? You know, some people were even like, you know, we'll we'll follow kind of a vibe. And we were like, no, we're really happy where we are. And in 2017 was a really interesting year because there was a lot of 
uh, strife that was going on separately that we kind of sort of knew about because at this point I had moved to LA. She was still in New York, um, but we were just kind of keeping up with each other via G chat, no text messages. But I was going through some some hard some hardships with the with the agency of just like not understanding where I was, why I should be there, what was going on. Um, and she was going through salary negotiation nonsense um, that, they, you know, we're all used to. Um, and so we just kind of put our heads together and said, like, hey, what are we going to do? We were applying for different jobs, but there was nothing that was screaming to either one of us in a really big way. And then we were just like, what if what if we just tried this and did this? And with some long, deep conversations, a lot of back and forth. But that's what we ended up doing is saying like, hey, let's give ourselves 100 days and let's see if we can get this thing figured out. I love that. So you said give yourself 100 days because I'm thinking of like everyone who's listening to this, who's like thinks it's pos- it's impossible. But it, like giving yourself 100 mm-hmm. days is a good marker for like, OK, if this is real, real, if we're really about mm-hmm. it, about it. Mm-hmm. Did you mm-hmm. also like brainstorm? Yeah. Did you have like that? Like you always think of the movies with like WeWorks where they're sitting in like or there or was it uh was it Blackberry where they're like start off in like a garage and they're like mm-hmm. playing video games and then it becomes like where was it a brainstorm session at someone's house or a coffee house or <laughs> no Man, no we were remote yeah we had Evernote at the time <laughs> we were using Evernote to brainstorm um to come up, we were really trying to figure out what exactly we would want to do and what was our special sauce and what would we want to do differently. I think that was the biggest thing um, on, in terms of how we would want to go about it. And someone actually approached us with a potential opportunity very early on and said, you know, someone's looking for a producer. They're looking for ideally a black woman. Um, would you be interested? It was like, oh shit, like this could be more real than we thought, faster than we thought. And so that project didn't pan out, but it definitely helped kickstart things and move things a lot faster. Um, you know, so we went back and forth about what we call ourselves, that sort of thing. But I think in that hundred days, a lot of it too was just saving our money. You know, when people talk about, oh, start your own company, just jump out there. But stack a couple checks in the meantime, Mm. you know what I mean? Like that was really our runway. Um, You know, we were bootstrapping. We didn't have a rich uncle to borrow money from. It was really our credit cards and bank accounts um, that helped fund the company. So that was really important for us as well, giving ourselves that space um, to just give ourselves breathing room to think about exactly what it is that we would want to do and give ourselves time to figure that out on the back end. And so we gave ourselves a hundred days to think about, okay, are we really doing this? Um, I was working on a project in China and I was just sharing the story that I said, okay, if I get to the great wall of China and get to the top and have this epiphany, I'm putting in my notice. And so I got back from China after climbing the great wall and I put in my notice at the job, and Yadira did the same um, a few weeks later. Oh, you you climbed the chi- China Wall too, the Great Wall. No, no, not, no, not me. <laughs> no, not me. Oh, I love it. Yadira was like, no, no, no. I was not on that wall. <laughs> oh, I was not on that wall. I was having my I was having my own epiphanies of like I'd never been out on my own before. I always said if I'm going to start an agency, it would be much later in life and things of that sort. And so I had to have my own pep talks with myself. Um, and then I had, you know, Oprah from the TV talking to me and she spoke to me from a masterclass. 
And that's what really gave me that extra umph to go and do it. Because she talked about, you know, betting on herself um, and other people betting on her and always winning for other people. So why wouldn't she bet on herself? And that was really, for me, the impetus of like, okay, Shannon, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. You know, let's figure this out. And so at the same time, when she was over there climbing and doing all of that and having those epiphanies, I was really, you know, trying to get centered um, and matching her in that vibe. Now, I know there must have been some challenges, though, in the the 100 days. Can you tell me, like, what challenges you may have had that made you go? Because, you know, I know that there's moments of doubt where you go, oh, I don't know. The In the beginning, we were off and running. Like, in day, we started with two clients. Um, we started with Amazon and Nielsen. And then within the next five days, then we had Lyft. And so we were just we were just ready to go. We had given ourselves this three month runway that to this day, can't tell you what we were going to do in those three months, but that was it. We were like, we're going to go get clients. We're going to do whatever. And that just all fell and fell into our laps really just based off of those thank you notes and people really knowing our reputations and the work that we had done and the awards that we had won and saying like, Hey, we want to like work with you. Um, So the first couple of days and weeks were great. We didn't start to see anything until months later where it was like, Oh, business development. Oh, client acquisition. You have to keep going. You got to, you know, you got to keep talking to people and building relationships and doing all of that, especially because we are by referral only. So that was probably the first time that we had a couple of those like moments because in the beginning, we just were going and ripping and running. It was all going really fast. And we had to get on this like really complex schedule of being in San Francisco, if not every week, every two weeks, like it was just, we were hitting the ground running. Um, but then we looked up and we're like, oh, we didn't secure nothing for next year. We don't know what's going on. We have to like, <laughs> and it was in that moment we were like, oh yeah, we're a business. We have to think ahead and not just think about the moment. Oh, I love that. Cause I've, I find this, um, like personal to me. Cause like, uh, as I started the podcast 10 years ago, the challenges that I've had, even now I'm going through like a real, like kind of a slump, right. Where I'm sort of having some doubts about even continuing, let's just say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I can't cause I had someone say to me, uh, last night, actually yesterday, uh, I'll give her some credit. Um, God, my menopause, sometimes I just like, ugh. um, but yeah, Tamara who wrote, um, the Malcolm X book, the with her father, her father, Les Payne and Tamara Payne wrote the dead are arising. Mm-hmm. And I was with her yesterday and she reminded me of why I started Friends Like Us Mm. 10 years ago or a little over 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, thank you. She said to me, Mm. you had no problem giving people access to talent that we didn't know about. And you Mm. had no problem reaching out Mm. to those comedians and saying, let's start this place where we all have voices and you gotta keep that going especially for women of color because I wouldn't have known about a lot of them Mm. and I was like oh wow thank you I just needed that like kind of like refresh I'll ask you like do you have those moments where you just you have to like kind of do a deep dive of why you started (laughs) I know that's a deep question right there (laughs) On a consistent basis, um, on a consistent basis, I, I would, 
I would argue for myself to say once or twice a week and only because we are, we've always been in hyper growth mode. And so there's a, there's a lot that when you're in hyper growth mode, there's a lot that just comes with it. You know, there's beyond just like now having the business and doing the projects, but it's going to get more business. It's getting talent. It's maintaining talent. It's all the, it's the operation side. It's accounting, it's finance, it's taxes. It's all of this stuff that a lot of people either don't tell you about, or you don't understand until you're, somebody could tell you, but until you're in it, you don't really know. So I would say at least two times mm-hmm. a week, you have to dig deep on just like a, on a shallow level to dig deep. And then there, I would say probably twice a year, it's like, no, really, why are we doing this? And I think it's a, a lot of like, just what you just talked mm-hmm. about, where people come up to us and say, thank you, or I see you, or trying to do the same thing, or, yo, y'all are really out here killing it and doing it. And those those encouragements, and that's internally and externally, they mean so much to us. I think, you know, sometimes it's just like, are we just building all of this and doing all this in vain? And it's like, it's not like people really do see what we're trying to do and how we're trying to change the industry and how we're trying to change, you know, what does creative talent look like? What does experiential look like? Who's able to do these multi-million dollar projects and things of that sort? Like, there's a lot that we are, we're doing and trying to push through, but it, it takes a lot to dig deep. Um, at least two times a year. I know I did wait. <laughs> and what about you, Shannon? Not as frequent. Um, <laughs> not as frequent, but I do think, um, I would actually say the opposite for me or the compliment to me is sometimes when there's so much going on in the world, um, there are times when marketing feels trivial And I really have to think about why we're doing what we're doing and how we're going about it and the impact that we're making, whether it's world news or life is lifing, that there are times when planning an event or a product launch or all these things feels like, should I be using my talents elsewhere? Should I be trying to solve world hunger or sex trafficking or a ceasefire or something? You know, like there are just times when that comes up. And so, um, it's not as frequent, but throughout my career, there are distinct times last week being one of where that comes up for me where I'm like, Ooh, pause. Okay. Why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Because it can, you can feel torn in other directions of like, maybe I should be doing something else. Yes. But then I think about the need of diversity and advertising and what you two ladies Mm -hmm. bring. I mean, it's so rare that we have co-founders, both, black women in this position, like what have been some of the challenges Mm -hmm. of, of diversity in this, or do, have you had any, let's say like, have you had people not work with you or, or have you, have you felt that? Like, cause I, I, I kind of feel like lately the pendulum is starting to swing back where they're forgetting about that diversity push. Do do Mm -hmm. you see that Mm -hmm. right now or? The black squares have faded. <laughs> the black squares have faded. Mighty gray. Um, no, we definitely have. I, you know, I think it's interesting because where I think we're up against it the most is probably being pigeonholed as like, oh, a multicultural agency or um, larger brands that have diversity initiatives. We will get those assignments versus general what would we consider general market, and that was primarily our background for 15 years before starting the company. And so we've always been by referral. And I think that the nature of the referrals has helped um, circumvent that to a certain extent, because 
the brands that know us and the people that know us aren't pigeonholing us, but I think as more people start to read about us or see us in the press, they think, oh, we should hire them for this diversity thing. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing we come up against. Um, You know, one time we did an assessment of all of the clients that have hired us, not necessarily just referrals, but everyone that's hired us. And it was maybe 98% women. uh, I think it was 98% women. Um, in various positions at various types of companies, women of color in general market roles. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Such a great thing to reflect because I oftentimes hate looking at the numbers. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to. <laughs> Wish I had someone else who could do it for me. Uh, but I, I did have uh, Erica who's listening probably right now. Erica, who's a, a listener who reached out to me and has been helping me actually with the podcast. And she was like, let's just look at some of the numbers. Let's look at what your audience is. Let's look at where they're coming from. Let's look at why they're, how long they're listening. And I was like, what? Oh. Oh, yeah, that's important. I go, oh, that'll help me shape sort of my conversation. I was listening to you on an interview about like, who is your audience? Who, why is this so important? And because, you know, branding as a comic, like lately, like that's our job now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's always been our job in a sense, but in the 80s, I would say 90s, it was just about telling a joke, right? But yeah. now it is like, on like mm-hmm. what are you doing out here for your audience um mm-hmm. and we're all the older comedians which i'm one we're so resistant to the change <laughs> i was talking to zainab last night actually a zainab johnson comedian about this and i mm-hmm. said once my agents tell me about tiktok i immediately shut down i just can't I just go, I, it's almost like a, like a, like I become like a resistant child. I'm like, no, I'm not doing TikTok. Even though I do, I, on my own, naturally, I, I love posting, right? But it's not like this, this rhythm thing that I have with it or whatever. Like I don't do it every day. I just, I love when I do it and I have fun with it. But when it becomes work or when mm-hmm. an agent says, we need you to do this more. Yeah, I'm like, I'm supposed to be writing jokes. I'm supposed to be creating like a set. But then when I looked at like Instagram and I look at like who's watching, how long they're watching, it does actually help to grow the platform. And it has done that for this podcast as well. Like I just, I took a, I took a look. I saw, like you said, men is definitely not, it's there. But like TB's watching, TB's a male. He's a white male. What up, TB? <laughs> he's saying he's saying so glad I don't have a job that makes me have to use TikTok. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck because it's coming for you too. Um, but I would, I, I guess, I also want to ask you this: um, 
What are some of, if you can share, I don't know if you can, but what are some of the craziest things that you've had a, a like a, a client ask you for or, or that you've had to save in the name of diversity? Mm-hmm. Like we it know that sometimes they really get it wrong <laughs> and they appropriate. So do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is like years and years and years and years ago um, when I was working at two 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 companies ago um, that they do a famous parade and we were um, talking about talent and it was a conversation and I didn't control talent. I was in advertising marketing, but I was one of the only few faces that looked like mine sitting at the table and the conversation was about Kanye West. And should Kanye West be part of this parade? Should, you know, should he be there? And it was this whole back and forth. And the there was an, I would say, an almost Pepsi moment because of what they wanted him to do or how they wanted him to show up. Um, and it just, I was able to just say like, hey, like that's not his brand. It's going to be really great. This is, you know, old Kanye. So it was just like, he was a little bit more predictable of just like, he's not going to while out. We're not going to have that moment. You know, we don't need to treat him with kid gloves and things of that sort. And I remember going um, back and forth at a large table, going back and forth with our creative director at the time who had been there for years and years and years. But there was already something that was building that I just had to speak on because I just knew one, it was important for the culture. We hadn't really had a lot of rappers to his stature at the time. But two, it was like, this was going to be, if he's the first, this is what's going to usher this in. And I have to like, make sure that that also feels real for us and the culture in that moment. So um, that was one time that I can remember that happening. And I think because I used to deal with a very um, traditional media, where it's this parade that has been going down the street for X amount of years that people are used to this is what this looks like. And this is how America is supposed to be. And especially middle America, which is for a long, long time who we cater to, this was, it was important for me to speak up and to, to think about, let's rethink this um, and end up being very successful. Even though I did end up stepping in horseshit trying to, you know, talk to Kanye, but you know, that's a personal thing. Personal. You stepped oh, because you were walking and you weren't paying attention. You were trying to get. Yeah, uh, yeah I was trying to cue. I was trying to cue him like this way. Look at the camera, and I like <laughs> went back and I was like, oh no, oh no, it's on, ca- it's on camera somewhere. That's what happens when you have horses in parades. That part. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so funny because you. I, I went to uh, the Wassel. Or uh, whatever the Wassel Festival in Vermont. I'm I love Vermont so much, but they have this festival every year with horses, and I just forgot. I was like, oh yeah, they're gonna be like pooping all over the place. I was like, this is fun, and then it's like, eh. And they have like a fun. poop guy that yeah. usually goes out and picks up the yeah. poop. He he retired mm-hmm. that year. <laughs> did they did they not find a new guy? They didn't find a new poop guy. Oh. No. Oh, oh my God, that's terrible. So, that's terrible. But um, so you're both you're both friends. Like, how important yes. is that to you, both of you? Like, the fact that you're friends to Deeply. your to your brand. Yeah, mm. uh, our our um 
our verb merch actually says making cool shit with our friends since 2018. And that includes us. It includes our team. It includes our clients. Like that's the kind of vibe that we're going for and the relationship that we want to have that we, um, that we feel like we can have a good working relationship that is not a drain, that is not a bore, that is not um, toxic in any way. And for us, I think it's so important because we have to spend so much time together. Um, You know, I think it's interesting how much time outside of work that we actually opt to spend together. Um, Usually it's going to see concerts. We go to a lot of concerts and things, but... You went to the Beyonce? um, Yes, all the Beyonce. The went in New Orleans, but we couldn't wait. We didn't win the raffle. So we went in London at the top of the tour. We were just impatient. Um, but I think it's, I think it's so important because it's going to be hard, but at least if you feel like you've got a partner in crime, like going through the process, I think that's what makes, um, that's what makes it so much easier for us that we're able to trust each other. We're able to have fun. Like we'll be working super late and then (laughs) (laughs) one of us will just like crack a joke. Um, I will bust out impressions and voices sometimes inadvertently just as we're just working on something. I'm just like lighting the mood real quick or just break it up because we're working on a deck at 10 PM. Like who wants to be doing (laughs) that? But just having that chance to just laugh and, you know, give it a break really helps us get through. And I'm saying it allows us to be honest with one another too, because we have to be so honest in our feelings and so vulnerable and like, what are we feeling? What are we triggered by? Or we have this thing where we kind of say like, I ain't got it. And whoever says I ain't got it first that morning, the other person has to have it, whatever that means. It's a client call. It's a team rally cry, whatever it is. I don't have it today. I don't have the energy, the mental or emotional capacity for it. Can you pick this up and run with it for me? And it's just a shorthand. And sometimes we come back to it of like, well, what's going on or that type of thing. But Mm -hmm. it's also very much unspoken of just like, we know so much that's going on in our lives that it's just like, if she's like, I ain't got it. I know it could be one of three things. If I say I don't got it, she knows it could be one of five things. And it's just like, we can just kind of move from there. So it also, our friendship is so deeply rooted and, and important into how we show up on a day-to-day and also how we show mm-hmm. up for each other. I want to hear the impressions. Uh. <laughs> uh. No, I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> oh, those types of impressions. Well, it's so funny because I did an impression of Bill Burr on mm-hmm. Godfrey's podcast. And can I tell you, like... <laughs> the debate is on about why a woman is doing these men got so crazy about a woman who could actually impersonate a man. It was like insane to me. I I was like, men are like, get over yourselves. It's I have one guy Mm -hmm. who was like, and I was doing like an early impression of Bill Burr. And I say that Mm -hmm. in it. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's spot on. Everyone's like, oh, that's good. And then there was one guy who was like, this is why women get paid less. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's what men, not all, but that's what men can do. Like, I was like, my impression of Bill Burr did this to you? Are you out of your Mm. mind? Wow. So, yeah, that's why. That's why. It's usually just terrible accents. It's just really bad. Do a British accent? Accents. Oh, no. Yadira's is even worse. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. Oh, my gosh. I can tell when she's been watching, like, Top Boy or something. Because <laughs> then, she'll, <laughs> then she'll come back with the impression. Rough. It's so bad. Rough. 
Yeah, we um <laughs> we have a friend from London and when we were in London and it was just so bad and we like FaceTimed her like doing all our bad Cheerio impressions and stuff. It was it was really embarrassing. I, yeah, ever, I dated um my ex was from England. I do a whole bit about him being posh so I don't offend all of England. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to make fun of the posh than it is of the just the British in general. But if you say posh, they'll go, yeah, you can make fun of them. Then you can just go that. wild with it. But yeah, he was, it was different. That's all. He was, he, he, it, at first, it's like cute. You know, you go, oh, I would love to date a brother with a British accent. And then you get to know them. <laughs> and it becomes a whole different See you, thing. Dara? So. It's a warning it's a, it, for it you. It sounds like a warning for me. I got to try it for myself. Now, you, you dear, you're single still, and Shannon, <laughs> yes. you're married, right? And you dear, yes. so you yes. you got to find you someone because that's what friends are for. That's right. That is exactly what friends are for. I asked all my friends a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago. Anybody know a good matchmaker? Anybody know somebody out there who can find? Like, I'm tired of pretending I'm going to go to a bar or go to a hat. I'm not going to any of those things. So if you know somebody who knows somebody who can hook me up with somebody. And I'm telling everybody here, all of our <laughs> friends right now, if you know somebody and you know a matchmaker, please let us know. Well, Franny, dear Franny, who's been on Friends Like Us, she's, tell you, look her up. I will send her to you. She is excellent. She's been on, it's a great episode to listen to because she actually talks about what your friends can do to help you find someone. Like we're always looking on these apps and stuff, but there's also like just mm-hmm. looking up and looking around and like friends yeah. helping you out and going, mm-hmm. Hey, maybe this, cause they know you and you know mm-hmm. them. And, and like, I love how you both say that you take references more than just pitching, right? Like it's mm-hmm. about people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of like get you to know someone else. So that's true in the Absolutely. dating world for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so dear Franny, Look her dear friend. Dear Franny. She is great. Giving her a plug. I love dear Franny. Because I because of her, I went on like a few more dates than I've ever been on. Just oh. just listening to her advice. Just help me just open up. Cause you mm. get I get frustrated. Shannon doesn't, she's married. She's got she's done. She's all good. <laughs> I am. But help that. her out. She's got all her friend, all the men are in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like I need to be a better All wing those woman. Available men in Brooklyn. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I I love that you also say like um, debunking the popular phrase. I didn't come here to make friends in the workplace. Why can't we be friends? Mm-hmm. It's just a tell me like why you put that out there like that. Was there a situation where it wasn't? like that in spaces you worked before? Before I, um, before we were at our previous agency, um, I was at Macy's for almost 10 years and I'd made amazing friends, still lifelong friends, people who are now on our team, um, who I just really, like that was 10 years of my life and that was really the beginning of it. And I went into the next job of this like, no new friends. Like I got all my friends, I'm not here to do that whatever, and then end up making lifelong friends there too, including Shannon. Um, and so that, and that happened pretty quickly. I think when you go into a situation thinking like it's business as usual, I'm going to cut myself off. I don't need any of that because it comes with drama and blah, 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 blah. You really just lose that on the possibility of 
this, what's happening right now. Um, if I would have just done that and not, you know, Shannon and I, when she first got there, I think I came back from a business trip and she was sitting there and I was just like, oh, who's this other black girl? Okay. And went back to typing. But it was like something Beyonce related that really perked up my ears and said, okay, well, she might be my type of gal. All right. We might need to talk. But I needed to be open to that. And so I know I came into the last place subscribing to that and just knowing that that was also just not how you're going to have a productive working relationship either. You do need to know what's mm-hmm. going on with people. You do need to be concerned. You do need to have some sort of um, a like and a respect there for them. Ideally, you don't have to, but that's what really makes a really great team. And what we always talk about are like championship teams. Our last team, you know, we would like, we call ourselves the A squad. That's what just makes you rise to the level when you care about each other. You care about how everybody is showing up in the world, how you can support everybody. What's going on with your mom? What's going on with your husband? What's going on with your dog? Like all of the things that are, you know, are a part of our lives. And yeah, I came into it. I think at one point, I think there was a meeting. I like started crying because I was just like, I can't believe I actually made so many amazing friends even again and again and again. So that was that was something for me that I had to open my you know, eyes to, to not do and not repeat again. And it's, you know, again, how we're even treating verb now of like not making Mm -hmm. that feel like it's business as usual. It's like, we're not forcing everybody to be friends, but we are forcing people to care about one another and to really get to know one another as much as we possibly can. I love that. Cause it's so funny. Cause we were just, we were talking about this and then like, but then at the same time, when I hire people, I, we were talking about like the Lizzo problem where you can't hang out too much with your employees. <laughs> like, mm. is there like a like a little mm. bit of a line drawn? You know, I feel like there's probably going to be a post Lizzo vibe in our company. Um, it's it's a balance, right? You know, as you especially as you grow, um, it's something that we're really mindful of because we do like to hang out with our team. Like, we have a tradition called Verb Holiday. And instead of like a, you know, like a random restaurant company holiday party, we um, spend an entire day together. We have five verbs, eat, shop, play, give, learn. Every year the activity changes, but the verbs stay the same. And the night usually ends with, I wouldn't say like crazy debauchery, but there's usually drinks involved. There's usually karaoke involved, sometimes a party bus involved, like we usually have a really good time, but we're really mindful of that. Like we were joking about um, this year's, it's always a secret. It's always a surprise, the destination. And so we were joking about going to Vegas and Yadira loves Magic Mike. She's been 900 <laughs> times. Oh. And she and she was saying like, not making that an official activity, but just telling the group like, oh, if you want to come to Magic Mike, I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, no Lizzo. Like, <laughs> If even if you put it out there like, oh, you can come with me, they might feel like, oh, I feel like I gotta right. go to Magic Mike because she loves it and I gotta bond. And so that's just something that yeah. we're mindful of now that we probably would have never thought about before versus it would have just been like, Oh my god, this show is so hilarious and fun. Let's all go. And now it's like, mm-mm. Yes. Can't do that anymore. Yes, because I often have that too, where it's like, I'm willing to be super friendly. I'm willing to do so many things with people, but then 
uh, I think you both have known each other for what is it over six years M- longer? Ten, ten years. Ten years. So you have a, a foundation, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. with new people, mm-hmm. new hires, or people that you don't know, it's like, oh well, I I've got to get to know you to be that level of friendship, you know, in yeah. in the in a company. Yes. Yeah. And trying to find that balance because there are some people in our company that we've known, if not just as long, longer than we've known each other who are there. That's like, okay, you Mm -hmm. already, we already know that bond. We're friends outside of this. And now we work together and this is great. But to your point, it's some of the new folks that you're still learning about their boundaries and where they are and things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and those are the folks Mm -hmm. that it's like, okay, we really have to think about them to make sure that they feel very Mm -hmm. much a part of that. Even if some of us have known each other for years and years and years on end and have done some of this foolish stuff from our, from years gone by that we can't make sure that that feels like the Lizzo effect of like, well, y'all are the founders. We got to do what y'all want to do. No, you do not. You do not have to come with me to see magic Mike <laughs> at all. You can, you can stay there and it's okay. You're not going to get penalized for that. And you're not going to be less fun or whatever those things are. So it is a, it is mm-hmm. a balance that we're trying to now really figure out especially with some of the Lizzo stuff because that can stuff can be so super misconstrued yeah you know based off of the messenger and the the messaging Mm -hmm. yeah it's a interesting challenge right now especially with women of color and it's like oh I thought we were all there for each other what Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. I, I you know and it's funny because I when I started the podcast and Tamara said this again last night She said, what I appreciated about the podcast was that you showed some of even the difficult relationships between comedians Mm -hmm. on the podcast, Mm -hmm. you could sense. And she goes, that's necessary too. Just to Mm -hmm. see that these relationships uh, between comedians are are not easy all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not putting, you know, it's like we're not putting out that comedians, we're all like, oh, we're all hang out. It's fun. And we're all support. It's a we're competing yeah. against each other and mm-hmm. counselors need to be around. <laughs> so, <laughs> the nicest way I could put it. Let's see. There's a current friend of mine. I'm like, we need an intervention. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that referrals, like how important that is to you to have referrals. Everything. It is everything. It's, you know, when we first started the company, it was very organic. Um, like Yadira said, we were sending our goodbye notes from our agency, just, hey, keep in touch, we're leaving. And everyone was hitting us up saying, wait, where are you going? What are you doing? We want to come with you, that sort of thing. And so that was the first time we saw the power of referrals and really senior level clients that were sending folks our way that we were surprised they weren't sending them to our old agency, but they were saying, no, you need to call Yadira. You need to call Shannon. So that was really incredible. And, and then it just grew from there. We had worked at the time we had probably worked with Airbnb, I think maybe four years already by that time, four or five years, I think four years. And there were a lot of people that has since left the company. And so, especially with a tech company, as people grow, move on, go to start their own companies, go to work other places. You know, we call them our Airbnb expats. It was almost like everywhere they went, they brought us with them to different brands and companies, either referring us or hiring us. And so that really became the foundation of our work. And Yadira and I, when we started the company, we had already been in this industry 15 years and we were so against the prove it energy that you can get sometimes as a new company. Um, 
And so that really helped us circumvent the prove it where if, if one CMO refers us to another, then it's very easy to have that inherent trust built in um, versus, oh, two black women, prove to me that you can do this. Prove to me that you can handle a $30 million budget. Prove to me that you're capable of this project. Prove to me you have enough experience. Prove to me you're creative enough to come up with what I need. Like all of the things that were never questioned in our previous tenure at any other company when we were running multi-million dollar projects and teams. And so, um, that was really the foundation of our company. And then it's just continued to grow from there. And every once in a while, we debate about changing that, whether it's changing our website, changing the model, but it just works really well for us. And so um, we're, I would say we're probably more proactive in maintaining our network because it, like Yadira said, it can be very easy to rest on your laurels or just be heads down with the work that you have and not look up. So we're really intentional about the relationships that we've built in the industry and keeping up with folks, but not in a transactional way. Sometimes it's just like, Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Like let's get together. Or There was a client that we loved that we had just never met in person. We started working with her in the pandemic and just had never met. And so I was in LA a couple of weeks ago. We just hit her up to go for drinks and tacos. It was like, you know, let's get together. And it was amazing. So that's, I think that's really what's been most important for us more than just like shaking the can or, you know, being all over LinkedIn every two seconds. <laughs> you know, I just discovered LinkedIn. Are you serious? Is that- <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I just never really thought about it as a tool. And then I started using mm. it and I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with it? As a comedian, you just are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I, all of a sudden I was like, well, why am I not on LinkedIn? Look at all these job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can mm-hmm. hire people yes. as yes. well. Mm-hmm. Insanity. Yes. I was telling my friend, I was like, you can just get like some, because I, you know, I've had people work. I've had a lot of people come and go, but uh, yeah, LinkedIn is very useful. I'll keep it that short. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want to ask, well, we kind of did talk about work-life balance with you both. Like, well, I know I see here, it says you karaoke you do oh yes yes karaoke assassin now what what's your songs <laughs> what do you say uh 24 karat magic oh, is a is a go-to uptown funk um usually i think bruno mars big like big related reba mcintyre um what else do i love i don't know Reba McIntyre. You didn't strike me as a... Oh, I'm a, I'm a Texas girl <laughs> through and through. And she's my birthday queen. We're on the same birthday. Yeah. Reba McIntyre fancy. Take Takes them down every time. They're like, what? What? And sing it with feeling. You got to sing it with gusto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have trophies. She has trophies. You can't give us just like a little sample? I sang for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're a karaoke. Okay. Yeah. She's like, no, she's like, I didn't know we were going to do this on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I just, when I saw karaoke, see, cause I love, I used to do a lot of karaoke too. I used to do, please don't stop. Rihanna's please don't that's stop. That's a the good music. one. It's a that's hard a song yeah. though. You got to do it in like, there's no breath yeah. in there. Rihanna, Beyonce, uh, even on some, sometimes Gaga, they don't have a lot of breath. I've been trying to find the right Beyonce karaoke songs they're all really difficult especially if you need to do because you need to do the dance moves too you're there to entertain 
You're not there to just sing. You're there to entertain the audience. So you got to get your dance moves and stuff together. Oh, God. Oh, you have a whole thing. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're not like just up there stiff and singing. You have a whole. No, no. Oh, I like I love to not. do like live band karaoke. I've had places where they thought I was a ringer that they like, like, you're not with the band. Like, no, I just got here. Like, just like you, like. <laughs> But I'm here to do, you know, River Deep Mountain High. I'm here to do Roman on the River. And you you, just, you have to have routines. So I do practice these routines. Um, and there's someone on our team who also is really great at karaoke as well. And we go together. We go together and practice. So like, okay, your song, your song, your song, your song. We're ready to go at any given time. Any given time. Oh, I love it. Shannon, are you singing? Are you I am, but <laughs> not I know you like level. going to concerts. Like, so, That's what I. Yes, no, that concerts are definitely my jam. I do love karaoke. Yadira is just so intense. Like it's just, I'm not ready. We were trying to perform Silk Sonic. That's another concert we went to a million times in Vegas, and I forgot all Yo. the words. I was just so thrown off. She was looking at me like, "What are you doing?" Oh, <laughs> you like, were sorry. messing up. You was, can't. Yeah. That's her I thing. Was, I was. You gotta come through. I was. I was messing up. So our holiday activities, our team activities usually have karaoke incorporated somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like get your song ready. I love that. Get now, your song how important ready. is it for work life balance? Like I what what do you have in place to make sure that I guess because you're in such a fast paced industry with marketing, like mm-hmm. where do you mm-hmm. find time? Is it the whole weekend do you have like a a day like a sunday that you take off what do you do individually i'll I'll start with you shannon um that's a good question i think that i'm usually pretty good about staying off of slacks and emails on the weekends um if yadira and i have something urgent after hours or on the weekend we usually will text it instead just so that we know oh it's urgent otherwise we really try to stay off of work related platforms um and I have a young kid, so I really try to be present when I am home, you know, just to really be mindful of that. Um, so it's usually about staying off of those things and doing family activities um, on the weekends. And like Yadira already know, like she's offline, like she's watching F1 on Sunday. Do not call her. Do not text. She's focused. She's locked in on the race. Um, so I just already know that going into it. What is weekends. F1? That's but car racing? racing? Formula One. I saw yes. that and I was like, wait. Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The F1 oh queen. Yeah. Yeah. That's her TikTok yeah. series. That, and that is my weekend. <laughs> like, I usually try to, to Shannon's point, try to stay offline um, unless it's something completely urgent. Sunday really is my day of like, I don't want to talk to nobody. I'm not doing social media. It needs to be an emergency. Um, but that's really the time to just take that break. And then, yeah, because it's also usually race day. I'm like, there's something for me to like watch all day, concentrate on. Like, it's like my little bit of fun that I get to have um, because it is in hyper growth. It's, it can be exhausting and stressful. And it's just like for us using the weekend as mm-hmm. that moment to, you know, relax or to like reset our mind. And so for, for me, that's definitely Sunday, but Um, I think one interesting thing, you know, we go back and forth about work-life balance, especially when you see articles about it. And I think 
you know, it's just, it's just a very different energy around work-life balance in work today. And we always, you know, we sound like the old fogies, like back in my day, you know, there wasn't any such thing. And it was very, um, normal for you to be working really late at the office, working over the weekend. When my husband and I first started dating, he always jokes about how I used to sleep with my Blackberry under my pillow just so I could feel the vibration, you know, just in case my boss or anybody emailed me and it's real. And it's so bad. And, and he talked about how, like, just in my sleep one night, I was just like, Cheryl Crow. <laughs> and I was working on a Cheryl Crow tour. And it was just like, he felt so bad. Like, damn, you're working so hard. You're like dreaming about work. And I just said Cheryl Crow in my sleep. And so he's always just been super patient and supportive of the pace of work. But I think a lot of the conversation now, it's skewed so heavily to work-life balance, but there's no balance. It's like, when do y'all want to work? Like you want to have flexibility to go walk your dog. You want to have flexibility to go sell your couch on Craigslist or get some fresh air in the neighborhood. But where is the work part? Like that's the balance that I think is missing sometimes in the conversation. And so I think we have a super flexible culture. Um, I try to be mindful about like scheduling Slack messages to my team or I'll just write in cap, not urgent, you know, because people want to respond to me right away. And so I try to be mindful of even creating that type of environment and pace with our team. Um, but the broader conversation in the industry, I think, especially with younger folks, sometimes I feel like skews so far to the balance part and the life part that the work part seems to, you know, be absent. Yeah, there was the bit. quiet quitting that was happening right after the mm-hmm. pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then there was mm-hmm. the loud it's an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. I see. it is an interesting dynamic because i think of united states what does it say here the united states ranks 30th amongst countries with the best work-life balance 30th mm-hmm. and this is mostly mm-hmm. because of a large portion of americans working overtime on a regular basis With this in mind, employers are becoming more aware of the growing expectations of their workforce team in terms of work-life balance. Companies are now considering how to achieve work-life balance and implementing target measures to promote this. The goal is not only to make employees more productive, but also happier and more balanced. Now, and I see they're trying to get people to come back into the office. Are you you back in the office? No, no, we are... Do you feel like you need to be back in the office? A little bit. Um, I think because we're highly collaborative and you really need all factions of our team kind of in a room thinking and looking at creative things and everybody just like spitballing. So you do need a little bit of that um, where folks need to come together, but not enough that we feel like, okay, we need to go out and get offices again and do all of that that we were doing pre-2020. But we do need to build it into our, you know, our workflow essentially of just making sure that that happens. Cause when we notice when there's usually something and it's like, why is it not coming together? It's like, Oh, everyone's just been on a zoom or a huddle, but no one's been in a room where you just have to like look at a whiteboard and everybody needs to like pay attention to this thing for two to three hours. And that's what an office could give you that now in this world of remote can't. So mm-hmm. we're not fully there yet. We did take a survey from our team and it was the most 
up and down survey I've ever seen of just like, yeah, we want to collaborate. We want to be in, but don't tell us when to come in. We're not going to come in, but we are going to come in to, you know, hang out, but don't. And it was just, it was just too conflicting. It was just like, we're not, we're not investing in offices right now until we really decide what does that start to look like. But we do know we do have to do some type of in-person collaboration. It just makes the work so much better. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I've been debating with that myself. Like, even when I do the podcast, I do it mostly virtual, mm-hmm. right? Because I can get people like yourself on the on the show that I can't get in New York mm-hmm. City. But then I do sense mm-hmm. that people like that in-person sort of interview yeah, or, you know, mm-hmm. where you're like right in front of a person. Mm-hmm. But I can't like... I have my pajama pants on right now. This is we awesome. We can be in a pajama party. I'm happy to be in a pajama, some pajamas. <laughs> they were talking about on here. Do you, now, Shannon, do you do New York One? Do you watch New York One? I still no. have Spectrum, so I'm forced to. I, that's the only reason I still have Spectrum is for New York One. And they were talking last week about the mm. the person who just shows up in the office to make it look like they're mm. there. Mm. <laughs> you both were like, <laughs> and then they, and they get coffee and they go, Hey, and then they're like out, but they just do that to make a show. Do you, have you experienced that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, in, in my, in my past lives, definitely. You would see them coming and you're like, they, they get up and out. next thing you know, they just walking around doing what they're doing. Now, you know, we don't know if somebody is necessarily doing that because with it being 100% remote, you really don't know what people are doing. I think this is why you just see this kind of clash of the work-life balance, remote work, oh, whatever, right. because from from the employer side, I cannot, which they could never do in person either, but I cannot guarantee that you are using the eight hours that I'm quote unquote paying you for doing the work that I need you to do, right? Just like I know back in the day, mm-hmm. I would be in my office and yes, somebody is paying me to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm on Young, Black, and Fabulous and Bossa and YouTube <laughs> and everything else. There's no, there's no guarantee of it. But Fair. what I can say is being yeah. in the office, I was more mindful of like, I can't do that all day. That might be, that might right. be an hour key keying with, mm-hmm. with my people, but that wasn't all day. And now you really just don't know. So somebody is kind of coming in and being like, hey, mm-hmm. and then they kind of disappear for the day. You really don't know that. They're just kind of out there. You assume they're in meetings or doing mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're doing. Um, so we started, you know, we do time tracking, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not abnormal in the world of agency life, but it still doesn't always tell you the things of like, what are people actually actively working on no. and how yes. long does it take them to do X, Y, and Z things? Are we being? Are, yeah, I don't. How mm-hmm. do you track that? Well, I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave that to Shannon because I feel try. like every week Shannon's just like, "What are the numbers?" We I know my sound engineer is listening right now, and he's like, "Don't you track me?" <laughs> <laughs> I know, Jonathan, you're hearing this, and I'm like, "Yeah." No, it's I, I, it's a balance, right? Because I think there's also a, a an amount of trust you just have to have right. with your team, and you know, we do time tracking. But what I've said every single month since the beginning when we started tracking is. I don't want you to just put 40 hours, 40 hours, 40 hours, 40. That's not helping me. That's not helping me assess profitability. That's not helping me assess capacity, bandwidth, any of that. So in the team being honest, there are often times when I'm like, WTF, like there's hundreds of hours not being used. So it's it's really a balance um, in having that relationship of trust 
um, with the team when you can see, oh, they clearly have capacity. They clearly have bandwidth. And, so it's a it's a balance. And making and, sure that um, that's tied in and connected to work-life balance. If we don't understand what's on your plate, truly understand what's on your plate. And if let's say you're you're consistently working 60, 70 hours, but we're not, we don't know why. We don't know, do you need support or do you need a boss? Do you need less tasks? What is it that you need? And I think that's the part where it's like, it all comes full circle of like, you have, we have to know kind of what's going on on a day-to-day basis with you to then try to solve for bandwidth, which then can bring new resources, which then requires an investment, which then requires new people to up offload this stuff. And when people start to connect the dots of that to understand the work-life balance comes with trying to understand what is it that you're doing. And this is what we're trying to like in general, make sure that our team is starting to understand because we're realizing I don't necessarily know everyone's putting those dots together, especially as we're growing, that we need to have this information to help you. It helps mm-hmm. you in the end more so than it would help help yes. us. It just requires us to do some more investing. Yes. And from any employer, yes, you want to invest, but I want to invest in the right things. So it's really to help you in the end. I love that. I, I know you both focus on empathy and you're in the way that you work. And I can hear it mm-hmm. when you talk about your employees and your team. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you. No, <laughs> I was like, where's my question? I guess my question is, uh, where does that come from? Like, how did, did you, like, was there an experience where you're like, I like, cause I know like in, in certain jobs, when you work with people, you just go like, I, um, waiting tables, you know, there's no empathy no. there. Uh, I, I watched a, a manager yell this weekend at someone, an employee. And I said, that's, he should oh, no. not ever talk to you that way ever, ever, ever. So where does it come from you that you lead with empathy in your workplace? Uh, so you sh- yeah. I think for us, I think for us, it's um, some of it. We um, we've talked about even this notion of overcompensating for things that we went through. Uh, okay, we we never want anybody else to experience that, and and there's an important balance. I think that us leading with empathy is very true to who we are and it allows us to show up authentically. Like I can't pretend that I don't care about people. I can't pretend that I don't care what's going on in people's lives. Um, so I think that's where it starts. And then, um, thinking about places that we work where maybe we didn't feel seen or considered or valued and wanting to ensure that our team does feel that from us. That's what's been so important from the very beginning. And, um, and it drives everything that we do. So, um, it's a little bit of both of one being exactly who we are, but then also, um, being driven by some of our previous experiences where we didn't necessarily experience that. And not that we've had bad bosses for our whole career, but those tough times are often the standout moments that really impact and shape how you show up. And then trying to borrow from some of those really great bosses that we might've had in the past that um, remind us of how we do want to show up. I love that. Yes. Cause I know I, I'm thinking of international house of pancakes where I waited <laughs> tables and Oh, they did not show up. Um, <laughs> yes, I wore the blue dress. Yes, I did. Oh, um, let's see. Oh, yeah, I love this. 
how being a Black woman entrepreneur has shaped the way you lead. Let's talk about that. Because I, I think that's the hardest thing in any, well, especially as Black woman, as a Black woman, being a Black woman entrepreneur. How has it? How has it shaped the way you lead? Oh, that's a... That's- don't you love the way I like try to figure out how to ask questions? Like, I am still a comic. I'm like, get the question, Maria. Get the question in there. You got the question. You got it. Oh, no, you know, it's funny. I remember a couple of years ago, um, there was either someone on our, our team or like our one of our vendors who kind of said to us or said to me, like, how do you do that? How do you just walk into a room and everybody just does what you want and command? You can just command a room and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, other people can't do that. And I'm just super used to that. But I also realize that that's, that is a space that I think black women just show up in. Like we just, the majority of us, I would say, show up in our full selves and we just come from a place of like, we got to take control, whether that's something that we've seen at home, because a lot of times our mothers are the ones who are taking control and saying, this is how things are going to go, or they're leading their households or whatever that may be. So I know for, for me, it starts from a place of seeing my mother, my sister, other black women in spaces, um, because I didn't have any black women bosses um, to like who were directly over me. I was able to see some from afar, but they weren't my, you know, it wasn't who I was directly reporting to. I think bringing that into what we do now and and my leadership style now, I think is very much of, it's a little bit of love and, and it's some tough love. And I, you know, my team knows, I say a lot of like, I also want you to be direct and say things with your chest because I am. And I, and I want to have, we can have constructive feedback. We have a constructive conversation. It needs to be respectful. We need to think about how we talk to one another and tone and all that kind of good stuff. Because I have been in spaces as a Black woman where I have felt talked down to or sidelined or where I was not centered in whatever the culture was. Well, this is a place where Shannon and I are building something where, to be quite honest, whiteness is not centered. Right. Because we we are looking at it from a very different perspective. We have built something that we wanted to see in the world from our perspective, the good and the bad. And so for us showing up as black women leaders is really to ensure that everybody feels very much included. Everybody's point of view, their traumas, their triggers, their ups, their downs, their backgrounds, their how they were raised, whatever that is. It has to factor into this. And it's no longer just like you're not a culture fit or you don't work out here or we, we can't work through some of the issues and the things that are out there. We have tons of conversations with team members who they haven't been through some of this traditional agency corporate life where we're having to kind of talk through to some of this of them like, hey, this is what structure looks like. This is what organization looks like. This is how the process is now going to go and working with people to shape that. But I think that a little bit of that is that that mate that, you know, kind of for lack of a better term, that you know, mothering, you know, that you can bring to it, but also with a fierceness of like, no, but we are here to do excellence. We are here to make sure that everybody is showing up um, as their full self. And we understand what that means and how that should look and how people shouldn't be penalized for doing that either. Mm. I would say for me, the biggest impact of being a black woman entrepreneur has been um, this history of being twice as good and how that has been the that has been the key factor in me getting ahead in my career 
whether even going as early as like in school, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, like always this notion of twice as good, which I think that in the past year I worked through with my therapist, so I don't feel the pressure of it anymore, but I do think it's impacted how I show up and why I don't identify with imposter syndrome, for example. It's like, imposter where? Like, I've always had to be twice as good. I have the receipts. I have the accolades. I've had the awards. There wasn't nepotism. There wasn't a rich uncle. There wasn't, you know, my, my dad wasn't neighbors with the owner of the team, and that's how I got the internship. Like, that's what happened to some of my friends in school, but that wasn't my story, so... I feel like that impacts how I show up in different spaces, the confidence that I have about um, being able to lead our team, the confidence I have about being able to deliver for our clients and even over deliver to a certain extent, because I feel like we don't have that same luxury of having L's. We don't have the luxury of, you know, misses, you know, we do, we to a certain extent, I do sometimes feel that pressure for our company that we have to be twice as good. We have to always knock it out of the park. And not that we're always perfect, but we do have this standard of excellence, not perfection. And so I think that from our personal lives, from our individual careers, that's definitely carried through to how we lead and the the values that our agent. I love that because you, you're reminding me of what I was thinking when I was listening to imposter syndrome conversations. I'm like, I have I ever had? I've always been like, no, I need you to believe me. But it's like also walking onto the stage in moments mm-hmm. like of big moments mm-hmm. where it's like on TV and just feeling like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I should have been mm-hmm. here. This is my moment to shine. I've done all this work mm-hmm. and it's been mm-hmm. held back from me for I don't know however long. So, yes. yeah, I'm so ready. Mm-hmm. Am I ready? Overly yes. mm-hmm. ready. Please. Ben. Oh God, I cannot ben, right. wait to pour this on you. Are <laughs> yep. you kidding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. I have seen this article several times and I've I've been waiting to talk about it. This has been bugging me for a while. Black entrepreneurs and DEI efforts face complaints and lawsuits for racial discrimination. Conservatives have begun to set their sights on a new target initiatives meant to close racial disparities in business. Companies, governments, Mm -hmm. and venture capitalists have begun to be hit with complaints, and in some cases, federal lawsuits over the constitutionality of supporting minority or Black-owned businesses. A conservative group sued the Fearless Fund, a Black woman-run venture capitalist fund, to block the group from giving $20,000 to businesses primarily owned by Black women. The Atlanta-based 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed. The court ruled in a two-to-one decision on September 30th to halt the program, reversing an earlier federal ruling that allowed it to continue. And they said, while a fearless fund and others like it were built to close gaps between white business owners and owners of color, Blum's lawsuit said that the fearless fund strivers grant contest violates the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which prohibits racial discrimination in contracts. He told NBC News in an email that racial disparities in funding don't justify the exclusion of certain men and women from public programs by race or ethnicity. Did you see this? And uh, I'll go to you, uh, Yadira. What what were your thoughts on this? Um... My my initial thought was like, how dare, how dare, um, 
we know historically, especially black women, but folks of color are the most underfunded group out there across across all of the industries. Um, but definitely in tech, definitely when you start talking about like VC backing and things of that sort, um, we have felt it on our end, you know, just even being an agency of just being under uh, underfunded or supported by banks or, you know, credit or, you know, investing in uh, things of that sort. Um, I think it's such a dangerous, slippery slope of where this could also go and where it will continue to lead. Like, this is just the beginning. Um, I'm, it's, it's horrific, like, just to know that what they're trying to do. And when you look at the numbers and you look at how much money they have, you know, supported and put out there versus how much money is actually out there that could be helping. And we're like, okay, we're going to stop this group from doing what they're doing. It's just, yeah, it's a travesty. And, you know, I think we're all watching this very, very closely to see how this can, how this is going to translate across the board, because this is, this is opening a can of worms. And I think even for, even for the conservatives or the folks who are going after the fearless fund, I think this might even backfire for them. I think this is just going to really potentially open the door to some things that they might not even, you know, have wanted to open the door to. So I think it's something I know for myself and for Shannon, we're watching very closely, but my first thought was just like, how dare. Yeah. I think reading it, especially again, like Yadira said, seeing the statistics is very, um, it's disheartening and it's, and it's disgusting. It's like, they don't even want you to have that 2%, like that little 2% that you're getting of the funding. It's like, no, we'll take that too. And I think the part that's most offensive about it is it's not even as if there are earmarks against, you know, traditional VC funds where it's saying, oh, previously you had to allocate 10% of your fund to minority owned businesses. Mm. This is black women creating our own thing for ourselves. It's very FUBU for (laughs) us, by us. Like, the fact that they're coming for that, I think, is the part that feels most offensive. Of Like, we're not even worried about you funding us. It's like, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. And that's usually our energy in most spaces. Fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. And even in this instance, um, they're still trying to come for that. So um, my hope is that we will come up with some loophole language where it's like, oh, it's for everyone. If your grandma kept random things in a blue tin can, <laughs> and then that will be the secret for <laughs> it's really for black right. women. But um, that's my hope is that we'll still be able to find some way around it and still be able to give the access to capital in yeah, a the language, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, there's always a way around this. Like with the student loans that even Biden mm-hmm. was doing, right? He, f- I, they don't talk about it enough. Like of what mm-hmm. he has mm-hmm. done. Me, myself, who's still owing for student loans, that save program saved mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. ass this month. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like the easiest form to fill out, too. They did not make it like a lot of red tape, which is really super important. But all he did was he changed the language. You're so right. It's like, but their focus lately has been on black women. It's like they have. So have you, you have felt this like recently? Have have they come for you? (laughs) I think the not yet formally but even just as we're we're going through the minority it's like a certification for minority owned businesses and the hold up in our paperwork right now happens to be that I can't prove I'm black <laughs> I did not find anything to prove that I'm black and I'm like quiz me what? um 
And so, yeah, so because the type of birth certificate I have doesn't say black and my child's birth certificate doesn't say black. And so we're just like running around America right now trying to find something that says I am black or my mom is black or my grandma's black. So that's what we're working on currently. But even that federal pro is, you know, um, under scrutiny right now as well. Um, and just in terms of diverse supplier initiatives, and I'm sure that will be the next thing. Like Yadira said, it's a very slippery slope where first it's about funding, access to capital, but all of these other programs that exist um, for diverse suppliers, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because the, the definition of diverse suppliers doesn't mean black owned businesses. Like there's one company that we work with and their definition of diverse suppliers is um, BIPOC owned businesses, women owned businesses, veteran owned businesses, founders with a disability or differently able founder. Like it's so broad. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming for their programs thinking that they're just keeping coins out of our pockets when it's actually a quite broad definition um, in terms of how people are even classifying diverse suppliers in order to allocate those funds. And going after legacies, yeah. right? Because that's where mm-hmm. they, that's mm-hmm. when I loved. I was like, oh, well, you want to come for us and we'll legacy. go after that's your legacy. Right. That's right. So, and it says here, other businesses have been, yeah, other businesses have begun downplaying their diversity efforts to avoid lawsuits. Groups like Black Innovation mm-hmm. Alliance, a clo- coalition of organizations devoted to supporting Black entrepreneurs. Um, the BIA last month announced its Clap Back campaign, a 90-day effort to share resources and tools to bring attention to the recent attacks on DEI mm-hmm. in business and advocate for Black communities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pay close attention, mm-hmm. everyone out mm-hmm. there. Pay close attention. Absolutely. Now, this article I just love because I think it represents the young ones out there doing great things. Black women in the news meet the media boss sharing positive news with the world. For Naisha Stone, meeting a black newspaper editor during her sophomore year of college in 2016 changed her life and set her on a path to start her own media company. Not only did Milwaukee Native continue to write for that newspaper and several other publications, in 2017, while still a student at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, she founded Carved... I think Stone, CNS, a news media company with a unique mission to report, get this, positive news stories about black Mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that's revolutionary, Mm -hmm. right? And she says this, I sent her resume and work samples and I told her I wanted to get paid to write and she invited me to her office. This is who she's approaching. And she says, the the. Um, woman says to her, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even look at any of your writing samples, but I see myself in you and I'm going to give you a chance. And ever Mm -hmm. since she let me write that first article with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, it's been up from there. Now I'm going to ask you like, who was there who did that for you? And then is there someone that you're doing that for now? Who did that for us? Hmm. Because I kind of remember the first person who got me. Because I always think about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. There was someone who got me in that position where I was like, oh, I can do this. Um, for me, it was Miss Bird. <laughs> and she looked like a bird in uh, <laughs> in high school. And it's like, she was like all the kids. She was a substitute teacher who smoked a lot. 
and she used to talk like this. And um, I, I had to do like a speech uh, or audition to do like the, the graduation speech out of junior high school. And I just, I used to write a lot of poetry and she noticed it. She just noticed it. And then she's like, you could do this. You can do this speech. And she took me aside and she was like, this is how you're going to say this word. You're going to put emphasis on the word. You're not just saying it. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I can't help I it. That. That's how she spoke. <laughs> and then, but I did that graduation speech. And from there, I knew I could take the words on the page out into performance. And mm. she was that person mm-hmm. for me. And you know, from then on, I was just always like in a performance mode or I was on the speech team or something like that. So I would ask like, who, who did that for you? Who kind of set you on a path? Mm. You know, there was, uh, was I in high school? I might've been right, come right out of high school. And I had this job as a, as a waitress uh, Barry's Pizza Pub, and there was a woman, and I, I hope she listens to this or somebody. I don't know where she is. Her name was Alita Barry, and she, to me, always was just like always open to my ideas. And it was a new place. I helped her open it, and at one point, I was like the daytime lunch waitress, and nobody came in there. Like nobody. It was just basically her and I just sitting there every day. But I would get everything ready. I would start to make the pizzas. I would do everything. We would have like one or two customers come in after a while. And uh, she would say like, you know, what are you doing in school? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. At the time I wanted to be in PR. And she's like, well, you always seem to have good ideas. Like, what can we do? And I was like, you know what you need to do? You need to get some pizzas and you need to send them to, um, it was Kid Craddock in the morning show in Dallas. I'm like, you need to send this over to them. And then like, have him like taste your pizza and then maybe he'll say your name and whatever. And I went back on to, to school. Um, I had, had to leave that job. So it was for the summer. And then she went into the post office where my mother worked and said, you need to tell her that worked. It totally turned my business around and she has a talent. And my mother was like, Whoa. wait, what? And she's like, she told her the whole thing of like, what I had done and what I had told her as just an idea. And it was just something I just was like, this is what you should do. And she, it totally turned around her business. And she was just like, you just need to let her know that that totally worked. And like, my business is thriving now. And so to me, when I got that message, you know, at the time, I think I was in Syracuse. and My mom was just like, here's this cryptic message. I don't really know what it means, but it sounds like, you know, it went well. And it was the first time that I <laughs> felt like, it was like my first client in a sense of like, hey, I have a knack for this. I have like these crazy ideas that here's somebody who's actually who listened to it. And now there's a result. There's an actual tangible output and result. And someone's saying that works. Keep going in that in that in that way. So I always think about that. Barry's Pizza Pub was the name of it. I still love that place. That's great. And that, that was in Syracuse? That was in I was home in Dallas for a summer and doing that. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Oh, nice. I went to Syracuse, too. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I didn't really. Finish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was doing a master. They had a master's uh, theater oh, yeah. program mm-hmm. there at the down there on. I used to live on Gen, 1301 Genesee, Genesee Street. Street. Okay. I know. Next to the yes. Rite Aid. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> 
love it. I, this is when I went to Syracuse. I was like, I'm moving to New York City because I was from Chicago. I had no idea. You did the same thing. Like, I'm going to be auditioning all the time. Because at the time I was like, I'm going to be in a girl group. I'm going to be a singer or something. And I just knew it couldn't have been more than an hour outside the city. Then I was like, what is this? Four hours. And my mother knew this. And that's why she was like, yeah, that's where you should go. Yeah, same. Yeah, and all that snow. Mm-hmm. I was like, this ain't the city. Oh, my God. This is not At the all. city. I was, like, bragging to my friends. I'm in New York. No. 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 Syracuse. <laughs> Syracuse is mm-hmm. different. So what about you, Shannon? Who, what what moment for you? Was was there one? or um, Was anyone there for you? You know what? Yes, everyone. Um, no, I think that I, I had a lot of support growing up. My mom, super supportive. My godmother, was super supportive as well. I think that um, seeing my godmother working in the advertising industry was definitely a big inspiration for me. But um, dear, as you were talking about that, I was trying to think about, okay, who gave me an opportunity? And I think it was actually when I was in high school, um, I was actually coaching the recreation cheerleading team. I had cheered on that group in middle school, all through middle school. And I was coaching the the little kids at the time and I was just super involved in it. And I really took an interest in the league itself and specifically the local businesses that were sponsoring our teams. And I've talked about this before that I felt like that was my first foray into like brand partnerships and the sponsorship industry. But in terms of giving me a chance, I think one interesting element of that was they created a junior board member position for me on the Recreation and Parks Board that in hindsight, as I'm thinking, like that shit probably did not exist at all. It wasn't like, <laughs> that wasn't a thing, but I used to go to the board meetings. I had my little three ring note binder that I used to take to the meetings and I I wonder if I was like a non-voting member. I don't know. But I just remember like them creating this position for me. I had the sense of authority. I had this sense of purpose. I had to go to my board meetings and my mom had to (laughs) drop me off at my board meeting. And so, you know, I think that that was probably one of those pivotal moments in my formative years that felt like, okay, I can do this. My opinion matters. I can be strategic. I can come up with business plans. Like we were really figuring out how to get all these recreation teams funded from local businesses and divvying out the annual budgets across all of these teams for the year. And so um, I would probably say, you know, Miss Candace and Coach Smiley and whoever else had a hand in deciding that I should be on the board because that was definitely pivotal to, you know, my, um, you know, my entry into the brand partnership and marketing industry for sure. And, and that sense of authority and confidence that I had as I went into any internship, it's like, <laughs> I've been on the board, <laughs> like, I know how to do this. As a 13-year-old. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? love it. Now, I do have to ask you about, and I want to get it right. You were uh, both instrumental in the Barbie, is it the Barbie Airbnb house? Mm-hmm. Or that's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, the dream house of Airbnb. That is so yeah. huge. That, that, what it, so, what, so what, wait, wait, it's a Barbie? <laughs> I, I saw that and I was like, I don't understand. Is it is this a Barbie Airbnb house? Like you get to stay there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over the summer, over the summer, folks were able to stay there. Um, so our agency, our agency actually produced that activation um, for Airbnb. They're one of our clients. We've worked with them for many years. 
and and we produced the dream house this summer and that was a really incredible experience and no one could have imagined how far and wide that would go <laughs> you know especially when your mom starts seeing it on her facebook feed it's like then you know your work has gone far and wide um, but yeah it was a really incredible experience for sure so and it must have been stressful it sounds like a lot of work I see your face. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. Yeah. It was so great. You know, I think one thing was interesting for us, and we've talked about this, is um, how much our team enjoyed being a part of it. You know, the team was looking at, you know, hundreds of different dollhouses and talking about, you know, I remember the team in meetings like, we have to make the roof pink. Like, we have to figure this out. Or, you know, little small details that the team was making by hand to really capture the nuances of the film. And it was an interesting dynamic, too, because after people saw the film, I think it was easier to put two and two together of like, our Barbie dream house was really more of a nod to the Mojo Dojo Casa house than people might've even realized when they first saw the house um, go live, because it might've been like, why are there so many horses in Barbie's house? Or what's up with this, all this Western shit? When it was really, you know, because of what would be later revealed in the film. So um, it was really cool to be able to tell that story and to really connect with fans that way, but also for our team to have that type of opportunity. I think that's what we really loved most of like how excited they were to to work it's on like it. It's like a huge credit too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Sure. I love that. So that my, so I can go, like I could take my niece to that house. It's gone. Oh, it's yeah. Gone. Oh. Yeah. These go. Yeah. We've done a series it's of these now. from like the Fresh Prince house to Sex and the City to Home Alone. We did a house for Issa Rae and, you know, DJ Khaled sneaker closet. So, but they're only up for like, you know, a short period of time. A couple of people get to stay there. There's a lot of press fun around it. And then that's it. So, yeah, when it's gone, it's gone. It's a it's a moment in time, an amazing moment in time. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. So follow mm-hmm. these ladies. You have to, so you know when the next house. It could be the Marina Franklin Studio apartment. <laughs> Let's do it. You don't want to be in my studio. I'm joking. It's no. like, oh my god, it's so no. Sad. We should do it. <laughs> I'm looking around. <laughs> um, so, what would be the one thing you would tell, like a young influencer or or someone who's wants to start their own business like yourself name it you know what would be the one thing that you would tell them that's listening to get started Hmm. mine is always so practical it is just like make sure you learn about you know taxes finances legal and like Mine is always so practical because I feel like that's the part that no one ever really expressed wholeheartedly to me or I don't, I believe us, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where there was no emphasis on that, where it was, it's all about your brand and your logo and build and da, da, da. And it's just like, that is all great. That is not what would take you. That's all the stuff in the beginning, this operational stuff that this is the stuff that can slow you down or pause, like pause your business until you mm-hmm. get it together. It's not going to be your logo. It's going to be, do you have the right people in hand? Do you have the right support, um, operational support to get a lot of that done? Um, So mine is always super, super practical. But on the inspirational side, um, it's the same thing that, you know, I learned from Oprah, like bet on yourself. If you realize that you've been betting, other people have been betting on you and you've been winning and succeeding for other people. And a lot of times to their benefit, 
you can do the same for yourself. And it's not as far-fetched as you think it is. We talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Our hundredth day is the day that we signed our third client within a week, week and a half of our business. So it can happen. You just have to make sure you're laying the groundwork and understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, taxes mm-hmm. are important. Mm-hmm. Payroll. <laughs> you know, it's... Oh, God, don't. Um, <laughs> trigger. Can you tell? You know, it's so, 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 so cliche. But if someone could come up with like a rebrand for your network is your net worth, like it needs it because... It's so important. And, you know, I think that there was a quote that Issa said that went viral recently about like networking across instead of always looking at the people above you, but like, look who's to the left and to the right. And early in our business, there were so many people that we had come up with in the industry, but now they were the VP of this or SVP of that. And they're controlling these multi-million dollar budgets and they were hiring our company. And so your network is invaluable. And again, not making it super transactional, but just like caring about people and connecting with people and keeping up with people. There are so many folks that I lost touch with at like a very specific point in my career because my boss at the time was like, ah, I'll take that from here. Or I have a contact over there. Don't worry about that. I have a contact over there. And so I just kind of deferred to him like, oh, okay. After I had built all these really incredible relationships for the beginning of my career, and I kind of let so many of them fall to the wayside. But I would say for sure, for anybody looking to venture out on their own, start a business, even if it's a side hustle, like really thinking about how you're building your network, because it could be a customer, it could be a client, but even for us, it's often just a referral. It's people saying your name in rooms that you're not in, people sharing resources with Mm -hmm. you, people inviting you to events, people, you know, I got my nanny through a referral, you know, and I just think that that's just so critical to our success. And I don't think we give it as much attention as we should. And so someone starting out, I would just say that really building and maintaining your network is priceless. And really, you know, you have to put yourself out there and it has to be reciprocal, not just hitting people up, asking for favors and, oh, can you do this for me? Can you introduce me to this person? You know, not just sending like a generic LinkedIn request with no message. It's like, we get hundreds of those. Like, I don't know who you are. I'm not even trying to be on some Mariah Carey. I don't know who you are. But like, if you introduce yourself, who are you? What do you do? Why do you want to connect? What are you interested in? Then we can have a really fruitful relationship. I love it. Thank you, ladies, both of you so much. This has just been, it's going to help so many out there who are listening, who may be feeling like they're in a rut right now. You know, because like I said, that pendulum is sw- is swinging back, and I and I do feel like mm-hmm. there may be some frustration out there. So just remember this episode. Remember what both ladies have said to you, and use it because I do. I get I get people who want me to be their mentors on in DMs all the time. They're like, "Hey, I want you to be my mentor." I don't even I don't even know who you are, or I don't know, you know, like what mm-hmm. are you doing. Like, what are you putting out there? And then, yeah, I can give you Mm -hmm, some advice mm -hmm. and I can kind of nurture that. But Mm -hmm. I think it's all, it's also good to listen to women who've done it themselves like these two women right here. It is super, super important. You're both amazing. Thank you. Thank Uh, you. And I really, I applaud you you. for what you're doing. Your work is, is, 
it's just like it's revolutionary and yeah I, I, I'm running out of words because I'm just overwhelmed by how amazing it is to have you both here today thank you so much um, thank you thank you so you much know, thank you for taking time out for the podcast Shannon where can our listeners find you you can technically find me on Instagram at Shan Simp. I don't post a lot, but I keep pretending that one day I will. So you can find me there or LinkedIn, um, Shannon Simpson Jones on LinkedIn. And um, with friends like us, we can accomplish anything. Yes, we can. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yadira. Um, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Because Yachty, um, and then also LinkedIn as well. Um, and with friends like us, it's always going to be a party. It is. It's always going to be a party. And this was so much fun <laughs> hanging with both of you ladies. Yes. It was so easy because I'm meeting you for the first time and you like, it's like we've been friends before. Mm-hmm. And um, that dog yes. just came just will not be quiet. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but I'll edit him out. No. Doggy, shush. It's all good. He's barking at me. If you did the Marina studio, you'd have to put a, do- a barking dog next door. <laughs> or three. <laughs> or three. Not horses, but dogs. <laughs> Marina Franklin, just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And with friends like us, you can have two amazing new friends that feel like old friends. So thank you. Check us out. Check us out. Thank you.